On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. Here's Matt Pauley. A good Thursday evening. Welcome in. It is time for Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Happy for an hour. Taking you till 9 o'clock as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Pretty good time to be talking about the Brewers with what they did over the course of the last week. They have won six straight games with sweeps of the Washington Nationals and New York Mets. We're not crowning the Nationals or the Mets as amazing World Series contending teams. But as I always say, you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. Brewers take care of business this past week. Pitching really turns around. This program is going to have a very different tone as compared to last week's program. And that's a good thing. That means things have uh, turned in uh, a good direction. I'll tell you this, though. Over a course of a 162-game season, there's going to be another period in time, maybe multiple periods of time before all is said and done, that things are not going well. That is just how baseball works in the roller coaster aspect of a 162-game baseball season. All right, you want to join us? You can do so by calling or texting into the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. That is 414-799-1620. Phone calls, text messages. If you would rather tweet into the program, you can do that by tweeting at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. Here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. It's kind of fun for me to think back to last week's show and now think to this week's show and just how things are so different in the course of a week. I mean, you're talking about the team playing six games. When you really think about the the impact of six games, it is only three three four percent of the season is six games. Yet these six six games make things feel and probably seem seem is probably the better word because I don't think there's anything out of six games that you can really say is this impactful, lasting sort of deal. Now, it can start putting something on a different trajectory or trending in a different direction, whatever you want to go with. But it feels different six games later. And we're going to talk about that, especially when it comes to the pitching. And I'll give you some of the numbers, because six games worth of good pitching made some very... It made a large impact in the overall numbers of the pitching, and we'll go through that coming up in just a bit. And what Manager Craig Council thinks about the pitching and the direction that it seems to be on right now, that's coming up in uh, just a few minutes. I think that 18-inning game has had a huge impact on this team in a positive way. And it's not too often that playing 18 innings is good. Even if you win an 18-inning game, Sometimes an 18-inning game or or a game of that length, a game where you go extended extra innings, sometimes you can win that game but lose two or three games down the line because of it. That hasn't happened. In fact, the exact opposite has happened. It almost seems like a galvanizing sort of thing. And a bunch of dominoes had to fall. It wasn't just the Brewers finding a way to win that 18-inning game. It's some of the things that have happened since that 18-inning game, and we'll touch on that coming up later on the program. We will preview the Cubs series. It seems, is it just me? Does it always seem like a litmus test anytime the Brewers play the Cubs? That's, 
I've been doing this for a while now, especially since the Brewers have been a competitive team over the last two, three seasons. It seems like every single time the Brewers play the Cubs, we go into the series saying, well, we're going to learn a lot about the team this weekend. You know, we're going we're gonna to see where they stack up. Like, like all these little taglines that we as sports radio hosts used all the time, right? Well, it feels like it again. Like, I'm not going to run away from it. it. It feels like it's almost like the to validate what the Brewers have done over the last six games where they kind of right the ship. There's another cliche for you. We, we need to see them have a good weekend in Chicago. And once they have the good weekend in Chicago, you can say, okay, yeah, what they did against the Mets and the Nationals, that was real. So there always seems to be these overriding consequences. I don't know if consequence is the right word, but there's this overwhelming feeling that these Cubs series mean more than they actually do. They're not just three of 162 when reality they are. Uh, later on in the program, we'll have some fun. We'll give you an update on Jimmy Nelson. He's pitching in competitive games. That is good to see. And uh, we're going to we're gonna do our best to free Tim Dillard because I know the powers that be at Twitter are very, very, very loyal listeners to Brewers Weekly here on uh, WTMJ. The at Jack, that guy, he uh, I'm sure he just listens every single week. He's a, he's a Brewers fan. All right, so that's all coming up. If you want to join the program, you can call, you can text Accident Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Or you can tweet in at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. The impact of the last six games of pitching on the Brewers. What... What was it? What does it mean? What does it say about where we go from here? We'll get into all that next on Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. So the Brewers this past week really pitched the ball well. There's you can you can be as negative as you want to be about the Brewers, and trust me, I hear from a lot of negative people on a everyday basis. We've already got some tweets coming in from negative folks. We'll read the tweets later on. Don't worry. I should say text coming in from uh, from some negative folks. And uh, I, I don't always understand it, but, hey, you do you, and I'll try to tell you how I feel, feel about things, and we just go from there. But no matter what, I don't think you can argue that the Brewers really pitched the ball well over the course of the last six games. Here are the run totals that they gave up. One, three in an 18-inning game, two, Three, none, three. That's a really good week. That's a really good week. And especially coming off two games where last Wednesday and Thursday they gave up 11 runs in back-to-back games, talk about a 180-degree turn. And when you dig in a little bit more on what went on when they gave up those 11 runs, I'm not making excuses, and it's going to sound like I'm making excuses. I'm trying to more present facts than than anything else. You had the game where Chase Anderson had the had the laceration on his finger just before the game started, and then that threw everything into uh, a tough spot, and then that has an impact on the next day. So your job is still to go pitch. Your job is still to go get outs. Your job is still to put up zeros inning after inning, and no matter what the circumstances are around it, 
no, you're not going to get a free pass. Like Rob Manford is not going to sign a waiver that says we are going to take these runs off of your uh, off your ERA because Chase Anderson cut his finger prior to the game. Like I, I get that. And Ashton shaking his head because with Rob Manford, God knows what he would do because he doesn't like baseball. But whatever, uh, we we're not going to go into the weeds on that one. All right. So what is the impact? of what the Brewers did this past week. Because if you were listening last week to this very show, my challenge, I remember, I, I, I issued a challenge to you, the listener, because quite honestly, I was sick of hearing people say, fire Chris Hook, this is all Chris Hook, look at Chris Hook, a guy was just done with it. But I knew it wasn't going away. So the way I dealt with it was I said, okay, you want to fire Chris Hook? Call me up and tell me what he's doing or not doing that's different than what DJ was doing or not doing. And I didn't get much of a response to that. Like, people can, I, I can't tell you. It's, what, I, it's a pitching coach. Like, I, I think I know a lot about baseball. I've committed my entire career to the sport of baseball. I feel like I'm a fairly educated person when it comes to the game. I can't evaluate a pitching coach, I can't evaluate a hitting coach. Now, as time goes by, we can look at the results and start to say whether or not someone does a good job. You look at especially individual results. Hey, this guy, before he was here, was doing this, and after he was here, he was doing this. What's the difference? Okay, it's the pitching coach. But there's not enough data yet to be able to say that with Chris Hook. So I say all that to say this. A week ago, when we were doing this show, Ashton, were you here a week ago, or were you already on vacation? You were already on vacation. No, you missed a... I was gone. You missed a fun one. See, I don't remember things. I don't even remember who was here. Sorry. Uh... <laughs> One week ago, after the 11-6 lost to the Rockies last Thursday, team ERA was 5.20. That's not good. Their ERA now, it's not great. Like, I'm, not gonna, I'm not sitting here saying that they're going to have multiple individuals contending for the Cy Young Award with what they're doing. But in six games, they lower their team ERA from 5.20 to 4.58. At this point in the season... That is a significant drop in Team ERA in just six games. That is notable. That is notable. Where do their, uh, when you break it down by starters ERA and relievers ERA, where do they stand? Starters ERA still not very good, 4.92. They need to get that a little bit better. It is better. The starters did a nice job this past week, but that's still in the bottom third in the National League. That's an area that they need to get better. But think about, with all due respect to all individuals who have been relief pitchers this year for the Brewers, a week ago to this point, it had been closer to a disaster than a success when it comes to the bullpen. It, it really was Josh Hader and Junior Guerra being consistent. And with all due respect to even a Matt Albers, who I think is doing a, a better job than he gets deserved yesterday's performance notwithstanding, uh, Alex Claudio has done mostly a nice job. Even with respect to those two guys, it was it was Hader and Guerra and everybody else, and everybody else who had no clue what was going to happen when they came in. The relievers' ERA right now is 4.18. Now, let's put that in perspective for you. They're eighth in the National League. Again, they're not first in the National League. They're not top five in the National League. I'm not trying to portray them as this overwhelming juggernaut of a pitching staff. But they have gone from borderline disaster to right in the middle of the pack. 8 of 15. That, that, they're right in the middle. 
Do they want to be more than that? Yeah. I mean, you don't talk about a team that's trying to win a World Series and go, oh, yeah, they're eighth in uh, relieving pitching. That's a great place to be. Now, you want it to be better than that. You absolutely want it to be better than that. But when you look at where they were a week ago and where they are right now, that is a significant improvement. And if they continue to have weeks like they just had, and I think we're probably asking for a little bit too much to say they're going to continue to go weeks where they don't give up more than three runs in a game. But if they can have weeks that are even similar to what they did this past week, we are going to see those numbers continue to drop. And at some point in time, we could be talking about a team that has a top five ERA in the National League. That's that's a good place to, to head towards. So it's better now than it was a week ago. Manager Craig Council talked about it during uh, his post-game press conference yesterday. I asked him, with as, as bad as the pitching really was a week ago, did he see that sharp turn coming? I think we had just gotten to an extreme that was gonna was gonna change course, you know. You know, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that's bullpen wise, it's you know Corbin down there and JJ throwing the ball really well is, has changed a lot. You know, from the starting perspective, and you know the guys have just they're just flat out throwing the ball better. You know, the, the starters have just uh, kind of performed as we as as we expected, and probably some of that's kind of they had some bad luck and some early starts uh, and some things that weren't going to continue. So thought it was going to definitely get better. I think that kind of changed some changes we've made in personnel and look of the pitching staff have helped us. Got a text message at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I love the Brewers, I love Council, I love Stearns, and I don't want to be negative. However, why did Stearns not sign Wade Miley? He was a bargain, and the Brewers had too many question marks uh, in the rotation to not bring him in again. He was our best pitcher the last two or three months of the year. The only thing I could think of, he was a bad, cancerous clubhouse guy, or or Stearns was looking to pick up some ace. Uh, With all due respect, both of your assumptions at the end are wrong. Neither of them are. uh, Wade Miley was great in the clubhouse. He was absolutely awesome. He was a great fit. He fit in perfectly. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't think the Brewers really have been in on some of these top-tier. Pitching is expensive. Pitching is really, really expensive. And I think we've seen from the Brewers, more often than not, if they're going to spend big money, they're going to go spend big money on position players because you can get a little bit more bang for your buck with position players, when you go look at what they uh, got in Yasmani Grandal, when you look at what they got in Mike Moustakis, it, it makes a little bit more sense because to go get a top-notch starting pitcher on the free agent market, that is a lot of money. So what the answer is here, and I think if the Brewers had it, and I'm, I'm trying to speak for David Stearns, and I'm not David Stearns, so maybe he would disagree with what I'm about to say, but I would think deep down, if they had this all over to do again, whether it was bringing back Gio Gonzalez from the beginning, bringing back a Wade Miley, uh, one, one, somebody like that, they probably would have brought one of those veteran guys back in. They Something this organization has done is they have valued their own pitchers more than the industry has valued their own pitching. And they've been right. Across the board, they have been correct over the last few years. They think very highly of their pitching that they have developed through their system. And I think they think more highly of their own guys than, than the industry. You know, baseball outside thinks of them. They've always been right. Everybody else has been wrong. They've always been right on that. This year, that kind of fell back a little bit. 
I think they overvalued just a little bit what they were going to be able to get out of Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, and Corbin Burns. Um, and that's um, th- that's what they did. That uh, So then they bring in Gio Gonzalez and everything else uh, changes. Text message. I don't want to rain on your parade, but the Nationals and the Mets are not exactly elite clubs. Ashton, how many times in the last 26 minutes have I said the Nationals and Mets are not very good? I mean... At least three? I was going to say, I don't think you've said they've been anything but like they're just teams. Yeah. How many times have I said that? Come on, man. I, I, I know maybe you're just tuning in. But yeah, I know the Nationals and Mets are not very good. I've said it over and over and over. This very show is going to be podcasted at WTMJ.com after we get done here. For you who just texted that, I encourage you to go listen to the beginning of the program and uh, you can catch up on that. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. We're about five minutes away from previewing the Brewers Cubs series with uh, David Schuster. Ashton, I have a new nickname, and you know what? I, I deserve it. I was—I probably reacted a little Don't bit too strong. Don't do it! No, come on. I got because uh, uh, you know I got frustrated with the guy, guy or girl. I don't—I don't know, guy or gal. Um, I got called Mr. Grumpy. That's my new nickname. I've called you that, I'm sure, before. Mr. Grumpy. I like that. So it's now Brewers Weekly with Mr. Grumpy. What, what's going on here? My mind just started racing of all the different production things I could do if if I had a voice guy next to me right now. Okay. Well, you don't. No voice guy. No big voice guy available. All right. So I'm Mr. Grumpy, and I re- reacted too strong. That's fine. Uh, re- look, real quick, I just want to touch on the 18-inning game because the Brewers coming out of that, that could have been a disaster. That could have been an absolute disaster. for the Even winning the game in 18 innings, it could have still been a disaster because of what it meant for the pitching moving forward. And not only have they taken advantage of the 18-inning game and, and kind of thrived because of it, uh, I think it's a galvanizing point, and we'll see what happens moving forward. It's really easy to make these big statements. It's kind of like uh, Freddie Peralta pitching uh, out of the bullpen. Like It's really easy to say, hey, it worked, because he avoided the first inning and he looked good for the five innings he was in there. Let's let this thing play out a little bit longer. Yeah, it's working for now. So for now, the 18-inning game is a galvanizing point for this team. But you look at what happened in the game after it. They had no pitching. They had little to no pitching. They had Josh Hader and not a whole lot else. And the next game after the 18-inning game, Zach Davies goes seven and two-thirds innings. And he goes out and he throws a ton of pitches, 118 pitches. Uh, he he went back out for the eighth inning when he was at like 103 or 104. I mean, that was that was very different. Craig Council doesn't do that with guys very often, and it was because of the circumstances. And that mostly got everything back on track. They were not 100% back. But this, I, I think, look, if this team goes on to have a lot of success this year, if this season is similar to last season where they make it into the postseason, they're a very good postseason team, uh, make a run to the NLCS or further, I think one of those things we can look back on is the 18-inning game because things were kind of going in, in a little bit of a wrong direction. It's just May. 
There's a lot of baseball left to be played. There's lots of ups and downs that are going to be coming up. But that's a that's an important part of this team. And I think you know I was just uh, I was just looking at Tom Hodricourt's book about last year, the, his special brew book that's uh, available. And I was thinking to myself, what has happened this year that would be chapters in the book if they have another year like this and he writes another one? And for me, I think the 18-inning game is a chapter in the book for for the season. All right, we'll uh, talk with David uh, Schuster from 670 The Score. We'll do that next as we'll co- uh, preview the Brewers and the Cubs. That's up next on WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Rolling on on a Thursday, it is Brewers Weekly. My name is Matt Pauley. Let's uh, preview what's going to be going down this weekend in Chicago, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Very odd. Day games on Friday and Saturday, and a night game on Sunday. It's almost the opposite of what you normally get out of a weekend series. But Brewers and Cubs, always a lot of fun. Let's bring in uh, David Schuster from 670 The Score. You can follow him on Twitter at Schumouse, S-C-H-U-M-O-U-S-E. David, appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, so from a Brewers perspective, I think from a Brewers fan perspective, this doesn't really impact the team, but from a fan perspective, any time the team plays the Cubs, there's like a litmus test aspect to it. The Brewers just took six in a row, but against not-so-great teams in the Mets and the Nationals. And there's almost this feeling that they have to play well against the Cubs over the weekend to kind of validate what they just did. The Cubs are playing really good baseball right now, uh, they, but they just took a series from the Marlins, not a very good team. Is there any of that feeling in Chicago where this series against the Brewers is kind of a litmus test for the Cubs? No, I wouldn't say so, not at this stage of the season. I mean, let's face it, it's still pretty early on. We're May the 9th right now. I will say, though, that as you just alluded to, you've got two teams that are playing really good baseball, at least as of right now. Combined, they've won 16 of 17. So, you know, the two best teams in the division for right now, along with St. Louis, are, are you know playing for first place ironic because the Cubs and the Cardinals played here last weekend. That was a first-place showdown. St. Louis has slipped a little bit since then, and the Brewers have elevated themselves. So it's going to be good baseball, almost as important to me and, and to the fans. It's going to be good weather here this weekend, at least I think it's going to be. So, so they're going to rain out a game, right? I'm sorry? So they'll rain out a game since it's going to be great weather? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll still never forget. That was one of the all-times when uh, the game was called. And then, uh, of course, the sun came out uh, later on, and, and then the Brewers manager says, the first time I've ever had my players get a, uh, a windburn or a sunburn after a rainout or whatever he said. Um, but, no, it's going to be good baseball, and it's, but it's still very early. So personally, and, and I'm sure across the board, you can't you know, overstate that this is a huge showdown at this stage of the season because there will be plenty more games between these two teams down the road. Cubs had a slow start. They've obviously turned it on since then. Is it has something clicked, or is it just the case of hey, it's a long season and, and they happen to have a slow start? Uh, a little bit of both, to be honest with you. They have uh, certainly clicked in after the two and seven start. They've won nineteen of their last twenty four games. Their starting pitching has been really good, minus the guy on the mound today who has not been good at all. And I'm talking about you, Darvish. But in Lester and in Hamels and Quintana and Hendricks, those four have been really good. Their bullpen which I think might be a problem down the road, and we can talk about that as well. They've been pretty good, but they've had some injuries in there, obviously. Uh, Brandon Morrow, God knows he may never come back for the Cubs. And, and Pedro Strope, their closer for the time being, he's, he's out of action. So ultimately, I think that bullpen's going to have some problems. 
but maybe most importantly, some of their bats have really woken up. I mean, Chris Bryant's got four home runs in his last five games. Anthony Rizzo, who was under the Mendoza line up until semi-recently, is up to 250 finally. So they've gotten some contributions. The Cubs are far from a perfect team. They have no team speed. Their defense has been a little bit on the shaky side at times. And like I said, I think ultimately that bullpen might have some problems. But the starting pitching, which is where it always starts and ends for me, has been pretty good again, minus you, Darvish. Is it seven, eight, nine by committee now with Strope on the injured list that it's just going to be matching things up, or is somebody going to be the de facto ninth inning guy? No, that's what it is right now. I think if, if anybody right now would be probably the designated guy, but that's not the way Joe Madden really works if you know him. I think right now Steve Ciszek would probably get the bulk of the ninth innings. He has been the setup guy, and, you know, with Pedro Strope out for right now, everybody sort of gets elevated a little bit uh, further back, you know, in the innings. So I'd say right now Steve Ciszek would be your closer, but Joe Madden is one of those kind of managers, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. He plays musical chairs all over the place, and he'll do that with his bullpen for right now as well. I would not be surprised if the Cubs are still – in it, and Brandon Morrow is not coming back at some juncture. They might pull off down the road, and I don't know how they would do it, but obviously they won the world championship by getting Araldis Chapman that season. Who knows? Maybe somebody will be available. It won't be Kimbrell because he's still looking for way too much money. But uh, down the road, if, there's, if, if, if that's where their Achilles heel is in the bullpen, I wouldn't be surprised if Theo Epstein finds something somewhere else. So the Cubs who just print money at uh, Clark and Addison, you don't think if, the, if if it became a horrible, horrible situation where they just had to get somebody and the only answer was spending a lot of money on Kimbrell, you, you feel like that's out of their uh, thought process right now? Well, you know, to you and me, you think that they have a ton of money, and I really do think they have a ton of money, but they've gone on record as saying they don't have a ton of money. I'm not one of their bean counters, so I can't tell you. I haven't looked at their books, but... You know, short of claiming poverty, they tell you that they just don't have the money or the budget to do something like that. Kimball's not going to sign a, a one-year prorated deal. He's going to be still looking. You know, I think he might have. You know, the ship might be gone out of the. Uh, you know, uh, gone at this point. But he's still looking for a multi-year deal. I think they'll try and find somebody else via the trade. You know, some team will fall out of it that's got a pretty good closer. That's the way I'm looking at it. But, again, they have a lot of guys on their roster, whether it's Bryant, whether it's Schwarber, whether it's Rizzo. You know, they signed a couple guys to extensions already, meaning Hendricks and David Bodie, of all people. But they still have a lot of guys on their roster who they're going to have to sign to deals down the road. And so right now, they're claiming poverty, and they don't have the money to do it. David Schuster continuing to join us. He uh, covers the team for a 670th score. i got to ask you this question because it made the social media rounds last week. There were some uh, accusations against the club of strong-arming media members into uh, kind of puff pieces about Addison Russell and trying to squash anything that's negative. Is there anything legitimate there? No, there is absolutely none. I mean, I've been around this team for too long with the current administration. There has never been anything remotely close to anything like that happening. So I don't know where that – we still don't know where that even emanated from, to be honest with you. So let me squash that one right now. No, there has been nothing from the ball club, anything like that. I saw a quote today from uh, from Addison Russell and part of the quote says, and look, it's probably not fair to him to just take one piece of the quote because you lose some of the context, but the the part of it was, and if hometown fans want to boo someone that's trying to help bring a World Series again, that's on them. That seems 
a little tone deaf from the outside. Is it is it fair to criticize him for that, or is it not fair? No, I think it's fair to criticize him for that particular statement. Although, you know, and I sat right next to him when we did um, this confab with him yesterday for about 15 minutes. There were other portions of that long interview where he, you know, he said the right things. Uh, you know, listen, if you talk to ball players for a long period of time, maybe sometimes it's too long, to be honest with you, because they're going to say some not-so-intelligent things, that being one of them right there. But he also said the right things at other times. I go back to the press conference where way back in spring training when he first showed up out there. Now, he said a lot of dumb things that time, and he looked very robotic. Uh, yesterday in his comments, he seemed more self-assured in what he was saying. He wasn't as uh, you know prepared, almost like by a lawyer, to say what he said yesterday as opposed to back in Mesa, Arizona, back in spring, back in February. So, yeah, again, you can, you can criticize him for that one particular statement, but he also almost contradicted that a few other times in his long uh, conversations with us yesterday. I compare these two things just because they're both controversies. I don't think they're similar at all, so I want to save that before asking this question. But last year with the Josh Hader tweet situation, teammates had haters back so much. I mean, even so much that in his press conference, first talking afterwards, every single one of his teammates came and stood behind him. Does Addison Russell have that same type of teammate support right now? Um, that's a good question, actually. Maybe not to the degree that Hayter has, and, and I do recall that with his teammates. I mean, it's not like yesterday he had all his teammates lined up behind him in the dugout when we were talking to him. Um, you know, they, they say all the right things. Addison Russell is, is, is a little bit of an introvert, especially in the clubhouse. You don't really see him, uh, you know, getting, I shouldn't say getting along with his teammates, but you just don't see him congregating as much with his teammates as some other people. There's a lot of close relationships in there. He just seems to be um, an introvert, and he keeps more to himself for whatever those reasons might be. So that would be my comparison between the Hater situation and the Addison Russell situation. It's not to say that his teammates don't like him, and they do have his back, at least publicly. But again, there just doesn't seem to be maybe the close relationships with his teammates on the surface as maybe Hater had with his um, teammates up in Milwaukee. He is David Schuster. He covers the Cubs for 670, the score in Chicago. David, great stuff. Really appreciate you taking some time. Hopefully we can uh, catch up with you again down the line. Anytime, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, very good. There's David Schuster from 670, the score. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Weekly continues here on WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Yankee Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Got text in. Would like my opinion on the fact that three of the five Brewer starters would not be starters anywhere. How can you expect to get five innings out of these guys when they can't get out of the third inning? And remember, Zach Davies didn't even make the playoff roster. The Brewers didn't do nearly enough to repeat as division champions. Their rotation is not even close to the Cubs or the Cardinals rotation. Why do we pretend that this rotation is any good? First off, if you want to text back here in like the next 20 seconds and tell me which three of the five would not be starters anywhere else, I guess you can make the case... For Gio Gonzalez, because he was on a minor league deal with the Yankees. So, but Zach Davies, and 
Don't don't give me the junk about what Dave, Davies was injured last year. That's why he didn't make the playoff roster. We're talking about a guy with the second best ERA in the National League. And you look at what he did prior to last year, he'd been a pretty good starter. I'm not saying he's a, a number one starter, all-star caliber guy in the course of his career, but he's been a solid starter. Yoli Chassin, he would obviously be starting for a number of teams. I think Brandon Woodruff, Woodruff's really pitching well. And you look at what he has done recently. It's not just what he did yesterday. There are a lot of teams out there that would jump, and I'm, I'm including Freddie Peralta in the group, even though he's not technically a starter. Like he's he's pitching starters innings on on his fifth day. Uh, that's your young guy that you're trying to develop, to trying to bring through. Look, we can we can argue till the cows come home about whether or not the Brewers did enough in the off season to kind of mitigate against any potential issues in the starting rotation going young. And, yeah, you can, you can argue that whether it was uh, Gio Gonzalez before, Wade Miley, uh, whoever else, Jordan Lyles, like whoever else you want to mention, whether they should have been brought back, we can, we can argue that. But to look at the rotation they had last year, this is the insane thing about text messages like those. Look at the rotation last year. They got to Game 7 of the NLCS with the rotation last year. Wade Miley was a non-roster invite-to-spring-training guy last year who didn't have any offers anywhere else and only stuck around with the Brewers because he was injured and they reworked his deal for him to stick around. You know, last year's rotation, they went and got Gio Gonzalez just as they, they did here. Compared last year to this year, they got to game. You're sitting here saying they didn't do enough to win the division, but they got to game seven of the NLCS with the exact same issues that they have this year in the starting rotation. In fact, I think it's really easy to even say because of a Zach Davies taking a step forward, because Jimmy Nelson is going to pitch at some point in time this year, because Brandon Woodruff's going to probably take a step forward. They're they're better positioned this year than last year, and that yeah. So that's where I'm at on that. I I, I just don't get the the constant criticism. And if we get to June and July, and they're just they're still one starter away from really being where they want to be. You know what? David Stearns is going to get a starter. Mark Atanasio will continue to expand payroll, and they'll go get a starter if they need it. This rotation has the potential to be fine. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly does continue, starting to wrap up the program here on WTMJ. All right, Ashton, I've asked you this before, and you... I put you on the spot, and then you get it wrong. So I think because I've asked you this previously, you're going to get it right this time. I wouldn't bet on that. What's the question more than any other question I've received over the last two-plus years from Brewers fans? Matt, what is going on with James Nelson? There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Do we have like a, a buzzer or something to say nice job? You can go look for something, but it's... <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> Oh, excuse me, that was funny. All right, so Jimmy Nelson made his first appearance 
at AAA San Antonio. Now, if you don't know the deal on what's been going on with uh, Jimmy, uh, he and his wife gave birth. His wife did most of the work for the uh, tw- uh, two uh, twins. There have been some medical issues, and he was supposed to have a, a rehab start. He left the team for a week, and now he's back uh, with the San Antonio Missions. In his first outing against the Round Rock Express, he went three and a third innings, gave up three runs on two hits, three strikeouts, and four walks. Not great numbers. This is one of those times, though, that you're not judging somebody on their numbers. You're judging somebody on their ability to actually go out and pitch. It has been a long, long, long road back for Nelson after he missed off last season. Here's where we're at with Nelson. Once the once he makes that first start on a major league rehab, you got 30 days to go through to complete that rehab. So there is a little bit of a clock on this right now. Now, if, if he has a setback, if they decide just to leave him there, there's other things that you can still end up doing. But we're starting to maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel on Nelson. I still don't have a timeline. I still don't know when he's going to pitch. There's been nobody who has said it more than anybody else over the past year plus. Don't rely on Jimmy Nelson. Uh, whatever you get from him is going to just be bonus. I'm still on that train. I don't know when he's going to pitch. I don't know if he's going to pitch. And I don't know how effective he's going to be. I don't know a lot of things. But I know he's closer. He's closer now than he was uh, a few days ago. And he's got another rehab start coming up soon. So it's good news. It's good news right now for Jimmy Nelson. Last thing. we got like a minute to go before i got to get out of here. Tim Dillard who's not in the organization anymore, but all Brewers fans seem to love Tim Dillard. He has a fantastic Twitter account. It has been suspended. At Dim Tillard has been suspended by Twitter. I don't know why. I don't know the details behind it, but the account has been suspended. This is a travesty. He is a treasure. His funny videos that he puts on Twitter are an American treasure as well. We have to do something. Twitter. You must unsuspend the account of Tim Dillard, and we must once again receive those funny videos. That's it for this edition of Brewers Weekly. Look forward to talking to you this weekend for Brewers Extra Innings here on WTMJ.